I trust your Bibles are prepared. Tonight we're in the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I'll be reading verses 16 and 17. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious gift that you have given to all mankind coming to this earth and suffering and bleeding and dying for our sins. Dear Lord, we are humbled by your love. We'll never fully comprehend it, but we're so grateful for it. I pray tonight as your word goes forth that you would use it in a special way. I pray that we would learn from your example how to love. I pray that you would work in each and every heart. And I pray that if there's someone under the sound of my voice who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that that one would receive your love, accept you as Lord and Savior, and that every believer, as we've experienced your love, that we will go closer to you, and we would love others as a result of the love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. Thank you once again for this opportunity. Take full control. Give the words you love me to say. May they be a source of challenge, strength, comfort, and inspiration to each person here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. It is no accident that companies allocate a significant portion of their budget to security. Security is vital and necessary to protect their assets and their resources from fraudulent people and from fraudulent activity. This type of fraudulent activity is often done by individuals who are pretending to be someone who they are not. And by breaking and solving authentication barriers, serious and lasting harm can be done to the company. An example of this would be credit card companies, and I'm sure that if you utilize credit cards with frequency, you would be able to identify with this. There will be times, of course, where a credit card company recognizing the potential and negative impact seeks to be proactive by denying authorization for transactions that would seem to come from strange locations. And so because the credit card company would, of course, in their system, deem that you, for example, would be in location A, but all of a sudden, your credit card is showing up at the location location B or Z, that would not seem to be consistent with your location, 
All of a sudden, that transaction is blocked. You receive an email or a phone call. Why? Because they recognize that that might be a sign of fraudulent activity. And that fraudulent activity would lead to loss of resources, loss of funds to that business. As harm is done to businesses as a result of fraudulent activity, harm is also done to the work of God by believers who send conflicting signals and messages that would raise questions regarding their authenticity as believers. The Apostle John, who of course was one of the ten, the twelve disciples, in writing this epistle of 1 John, addresses the matter of authentic Christianity. I believe firmly on the authority of God's word that God wants Christians who are authentic. Amen? And John addresses this matter by giving a number of identifying characteristics that are consistent with a true believer. John understood very clearly that the believer, upon conversion, receives a divine nature that brings about a transformation. And as such, that believer ought to demonstrate and manifest unique traits that confirms such a supernatural event. Make no mistake about it. When a believer, a child of God, when a person is born again by the Spirit of God... Imagine this, God himself performs a great miracle, a miracle of all miracles, that a person born of a woman can now be equipped with the divine nature that comes from God. That is nothing short of a miracle. And a miracle of that magnitude ought to show up in a transformed life. And so John addresses this matter of Christian authenticity. Entitled this series, The Christian's Signature. We understand that a signature is something that, 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 that uniquely identifies an individual. My children often look at my signature and say, Daddy, who, who, who can understand it? Well, you're not supposed to understand it. It's a signature. You're supposed to identify that person. It ought to be unique. And so we have, as believers, a Christian signature. We've been looking over the last few weeks at some things that authenticate the Christian, some authenticated practices, and we've looked at a number of these. And just by way of review, we saw that, uh, first of all, the, the authenticated practice that John points out here throughout this book, but here in First John chapter 3 as well, is that the child of God, the believer, ought to love the brethren. Amen? That ought to be evident in our lives. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. This is not a, a, a love that, that, that's conditional. It's an unconditional love. Why? It's a, an agape love because God loved us unconditionally. And he gave us a love that is from him. We ought to love the brethren but secondly, we ought to also live a holy life. Peter 
says, God says, be ye holy as I am holy. Holiness ought to be characteristic of a believer. Why? Because it is the nature of God himself that ought to be a part of our practice. Love the brethren to live a holy life. And when you love the brethren and you live a holy life, notice thirdly, you're going to be loathed by the world. In other words, you're going to be hated by the world. Why? Because the world is diametrically opposed to the things of God. We're in a spiritual war. And we ought not to be shocked and surprised and alarmed when the world hates us for doing what God says. It goes with the territory. But notice, fourthly, a child of God, a believer, we ought to lay down our lives for others. Lay down our lives for others. We see this in verses 16 and 17. Notice it says, hereby perceive we the love of God. In other words, here is some evidence that we love God, that we have the love of God in our hearts. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We notice, first of all, there's a consideration. There's a pattern. Jesus taught by example. He led by example. He patterned what we ought to do. He didn't just only say what we ought to do, but he demonstrated it. And so as it relates to this matter of laying down our lives for others, we saw the ultimate example of Jesus himself laying down his life for all humanity. So there's a pattern. There's also a practice. The practice is that it ought to be done willingly. Jesus was not forced. He says, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down. He did it willingly. But it's important that we understand that he not only did it willingly, but he did it for the wicked. He didn't do it for us because we were better than anyone else. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our practice of laying down our lives for others, are not to be always contingent on whether we think they did the right thing. That's the practice. But it also be, ought to motivate us to love others because the love of God is personal to us. That we received it when we did not deserve it. That's the consideration. We notice as well the cause. Notice in verse number 17, he says, but whoso hath the world's goods. There's a cause at stake. There's a reason why we ought to respond in such a manner. We noticed last week that when you are affected, when your heart is touched by a cause, it's going to cause you to then care. It's going to matter. The many causes that people pursue. But we ought to have the cause of loving others, seeing God work in their hearts, 
seeing the need for a savior, cause us to respond with caring. Meaning that it matters. Amen? But notice tonight, I want us to see progressively what happens when, when a cause touches your heart and you respond with care. That care is, 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 is manifested in our lives because, why? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So we cannot help but care. Why? We have this divine love that comes from God. When that cause causes us to care, jot this down, we're going to respond with concern. Concern. It leads to concern that what's going to happen if I don't act? How many of you can recall in your school days, and for those of you who are still in school, that when you know that a test is coming up, what is it that leads to anxiety, concern, and stress? First of all, I would submit to you is that you care about doing well. Am I right? I can prove that to you because there are some students who don't have anxiety, they don't have stress, they are not bothered when the test is, whether it's tomorrow or next week or next month because they have reached a point where they simply do not care. Teachers, you have any students like that? They've signed off long, 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 long time. And so because they don't care, there is no concern. You're wondering how they seem so free and nonchalant. You're wondering why there's no concern. It's because they do not care. But when you care, there's going to be some concern. Amen? And when you're concerned, you're then worried about your level of preparation. Well, here's what happens when you care about someone that produces concern if you don't act to help. If you don't care, then there's no concern. It's all connected. And that's why John says in verse number 617, he says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. John is making a, a deductive argument here. He's saying, listen, if you see the cause, and you don't care, then I can understand you have no concern, but it proves to me that you don't have the love of God in your heart. Because the love of God would have caused you to care. And once you care, you're going to have some concern. John says, that cause that you observe causes you to care. That care results in some concern. And he says that concern, get this, produces some compassion. You can't get to compassion stage if you don't care. You can't get to the stage of compassion if you have no concern. 
But I want us to notice something about compassion. Listen, compassion, first of all, shows up in that one must deny self. Notice what verse number 16 says. He says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We are to do what? Lay down somebody else's life. No, 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 no. That's not what he says. He says, we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, if you're going to demonstrate real and true compassion, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You ever come across some people who they are good at coordinating and laying down somebody else's life for somebody else's need? I feel your pain, my brother. I feel your pain, my sister. But let somebody else take the risk, not me. That's not real compassion. I mean, it might be some concern. But real compassion involves prioritizing, prioritizing rather, another person's well-being above your own. That's what Jesus did. He didn't think about himself. He didn't think about the pain, the anguish, the suffering that, that, that he, would, he would feel when he thought about it. But guess what? He went anyway because he prioritized our well-being. And as a result, he laid down his life for us. Compassion requires that we deny self. And here's what's going to happen when you deny self, there's going to be a decision to sacrifice. Look at that verse number 16 again. It says, we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. But notice the words that precede our lives. What does it say? Lay down. Lay down. Those two words indicate that, that, that I'm giving something up. I'm willing to sacrifice. You see, my friends, this thing of compassion is not an emotion. Compassion is demonstrated by action. When we say we have compassion, we, 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 we look at that and we, we think about really the concern, the emotion, I care. And it, it, it's probably hard to have a dichotomy between both because as we've seen here in the progression, they all go together. The cause, the care, the concern, the compassion. But ultimately, compassion is demonstrated by action. I'm gonna look, we're going to look at a few verses tonight and I want you to notice instructively Whenever compassion was mentioned, it was backed up by action. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Speaking of Jesus, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was what? 
moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. But notice his compassion was combined with action. I know the verse 36 follows verse 35, but look at verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice his response as well. When he saw the multitudes, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In other words, his burden, if it, if it even were possible, his burden for lost mankind uh, got greater. I got to do more. Uh, let's get more people going out to meet the need. Compassion results in action. Look at Matthew chapter 4. 14 rather. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 14. And we could go up to verse 13 for continuity. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Notice Jesus went apart for some quiet time. He was trying to quarantine. He was trying to isolate. And the people followed him. He was moved with compassion. So he didn't say, y'all don't see I'm trying to get a break. The Bible says, took the time and he healed the sick. Look at one other example in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 27. Now we'll close with this one. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 27. This verse comes on the heels of the parable of the certain king who had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. And he came in verse 25 and the Bible says, for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was what? Moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Compassion results in action. 
back in first John chapter three. John is saying to us one of the clear characteristics, traits, authenticated practices that manifest the fact that we are who we say we are, that we'll be willing to lay down our lives for others. Why? Because of the love of God in our hearts. That love causes us to have some discernment to see a cause, to see a need, respond to that need with some care. That care is going to be there naturally. Why? Because of the love of God that's in our hearts. Once we care, that care is going to result in some concern. And that concern would be followed by some compassion. Why? Some love in action. As we look around at our world and the complexities and the tragedies, the chaos that exists. Can you observe a cause? Is there anything for us to latch on to and say, wow, there's a problem, there's a need? I mean, you can't go through a day and not come across an individual who needs a savior. Someone who needs the Lord desperately. In just in abundance. Someone who needs the Lord for their sanity. Needs their Lord for their family. Needs the Lord for their marriage. Needs the Lord for their financial well-being. Needs the Lord for their eternal well-being. That cause ought to grip our hearts. When that cause grips our hearts, we're going to care. If you find yourself not caring at all, there's a problem. We can't not care. And if we, if we don't care, there's a hard problem that we have to address. It could be that individual is not saved who doesn't care. But it can also be an individual who's saved whose heart is not right with God. It could be a result of hurt. It could be a result of a variety of different things. But if you don't care, you've got to address your heart. You've got to say, God, deal with me. Once you care, it's going to result in some concern. And that concern is going to lead to action in the form of compassion. May God help us to be authentic. May God help us to demonstrate that manifest in our lives the true Christian signature. And here's what's going to happen when we demonstrate to a lost and dying world the uniqueness of being a Christian, guess what? They're going to want what we have. 
And that's the plan and program of God for his people, his representatives, to be distinctive, to be unique, to stand out, to represent him, to be his hands, his feet, his ears, his mouthpiece here on earth. I trust that every believer, that we would demonstrate and manifest the true Christian's signature.